0: Hi, Heads. Welcome back to another episode of Remnant Stew that's quite a bit different from the rest. I'm your host, Leah.
1: I'm Phil. And I'm Steve. And today, we're bringing you leftovers, bits of random trivia, and bizarre stories that just didn't fit into any of our past episodes. So grab a spoon and prepare to dig in. Yum, yum.
0: If you have an appetite for the strange and bizarre, then pull up a chair and grab a spoon for another intriguing serving. ...of Remnant Stew. Remnant Stew is gluten-free, organic, made from all natural, free-range ingredients... ...and guaranteed to provide the recommended daily serving of curiosity.
1: And now before we jump into those great leftovers... ...I do love leftovers, in fact. Um, Let's take a look at our calendar. Tomorrow, of course, is Tuesday, December 7th. And that is Pearl Harbor Day. And in fact, this year marks the 80th anniversary of the Japanese bombing of the US naval base at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. That infamous event, according to Franklin Roosevelt, the day that will live in infamy, shook the United States out of its out of its um, isolationist slumber and began perhaps the greatest mobilization to ever occur as the US quickly shifted to a wartime production mentality. One of the really things that people study how quickly the U.S. shifted from peacetime, uh, coming barely barely coming out of the Depression, to quickly rapid-producing wartime materials. Right, right. I, uh, m- my wife's mother was uh, one of those little Rosie the Riveter ladies. Actually, she wrote, worked in a uh, ball-bearing factory up in Cleveland, mm-hmm. Ohio, and uh, I just loved hearing her stories about that time.
2: Cool.
1: Now, this Friday, uh, December the 10th, is Nobel Prize Day. It's a day to honor Alfred Nobel, who died on this day in 1895. In his last will and testament, Nobel established several categories of prizes for accomplishments made for the betterment of mankind. Um, While his heirs contested the will, Nobel's wishes prevailed, and the first prizes were awarded in 1901. They are internationally recognition awards, or I should say international recognition awards, the Nobel Prize Foundation controls the determination of awards recipients and the annual presentation of awards. Interesting story about Alfred Nobel. He actually was the inventor of dynamite,
2: right? Which oh, I remember he, that.
1: He thought would be used, you know, in constructive purposes like road building and things like that. But when he discovered that it was being used in military purposes uh, and people were dying as a result of his invention, uh, he decided he wanted to establish this as a way to offset the effects of his other invention.
0: Right. I remember. Yeah.
1: Now, I love this day. Tuesday, December 21st is National Flashlight Day.
0: Oh, there you go. Uh That's a good one. a great
1: day, isn't it? (laughs) See you. Now, I just want to, this is a little word of advice to all the ladies listening in. Anytime time you ever need to buy a gift for any male in your life, oh, any male, say, between the ages of 2 and 106,
2: <laughs> right. you, you
1: just can't miss by giving them a really cool flashlight. Uh, the brighter, meant, the better. Right, and the more cool <laughs> features, the better, you know. <laughs> National Flashlight Day is always celebrated on December 21st, which, by the way, is also the winter solstice here in the northern northern hemisphere. So, there will be plenty of opportunities to light things up. It's the (laughs) shortest sunlight day of the year. Um, Fun fact, by the way, the flashlight was invented in 1898 by Joshua Lionel Cowan. Thank you. That actually wasn't even his greatest invention he also is responsible for the Lionel model train.
0: Oh yeah, ah. we've had yeah, we had that, and it's got his name on the side.
1: Right. So cool. good job, good job, uh, to uh, Joshua Lionel Cowan for the train and the flashlight.
0: Okay, so we have you know we have all these guys in our household. We have flashlights everywhere. Right. None of them work. <laughs> I mean, well, they all need batteries. Yeah, okay, so
1: that's what you do this all year. different kinds. Yes. <laughs> this year you buy them batteries for all the flashlights yeah. that they had last year. Right.
3: Hey, your phone has one, by the way. <laughs> that's true. It's
1: not quite as bright, but still. And finally, after all those Christmas baked goodies and candies that uh, you can look forward to, Thursday, December thirtieth, which is National Bicarbonate of Soda Day. <laughs>
3: that's great.
1: <laughs> also called baking soda, this amazing compound has many uses, including baking, polishing silverware, removing odors, cleaning, and settling an upset mm-hmm. stomach. So that's right. Can be very useful this time A gift of year. That
3: keeps on giving.
1: <laughs> right. Well, now, this would be a good place to let everyone know that while we normally would have one more episode coming out in two weeks on December the 20th, but we're going to take a little break. This will be our last episode of 2021. Mm -hmm. We're on vacation. Uh, Yeah, we're on vacation for a little while. (laughs) Now, don't worry, though. We will be back in January with season three. Isn't that exciting? The third season already. Season 3 of Remnant Stew, bringing you all the weird and wonderful things that you are accustomed to.
0: That's right, and we're celebrating here in the studio with champagne to 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 celebrate wrapping up Season 2. Okay, so let's talk about leftovers. You know, some people love them, some people hate them. I
2: love them myself. you know, Mm -hmm.
0: when I was a kid, something I never realized about being an adult, especially a mom is that I would be constantly having to feed people. You just can't <laughs> think about what to cook for dinner an hour or two before dinner time. It's something you have to plan for. Uh, groceries, thaw the meat every single day for eternity. Right. So leftovers is something I love. That night, the, the dinner is easy. You can choose from Tuesday's lasagna, Wednesday's right. steak, Monday's chicken and rice. It's Good. a smorgasbord of, of choices, but my kids they don't care so much they, they're they not fans of leftovers oh, it's too not bad. their favorite <laughs> and so a lot of our leftovers end up being pushed to the back of the fridge until they grow fur
2: mm, but good. whether
0: you love or hate leftovers in the fridge i think you'll love our leftover stew these are All the right. stories that we either didn't have time to get to in past episodes or they just didn't fit into a topic anywhere so this is a smorgasbord of random stories you could say they're a whole bunch of oddity de jours. shenanigans
3: so.
1: Theme, it's a theme of no theme.
0: Yeah, that's right. So so they're all random, and they they, they don't relate to each other in any way.
1: So,
3: but all show. fun. All about, Got it.
0: all about nothing. All about nothing. It's a we're show about nothing. We've never heard that before. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to start off with clown eggs. Well, there's a good place to start. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what I thought. Bum, bum,
3: ba, da da, da dum, bum, ba, <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, clowns have gotten a really bad rap, I think. Most people really seem to dislike clowns and find them creepy, thanks in part to Stephen King's It. Right. But that wasn't always the case. When circuses, you know, traveling circuses were a big thing, clowns were a very important part of the act, okay. entertaining yeah. the crowd with their antics while sets were being torn down and then set up for the next act. Yeah. And then uh, there's also rodeo clowns okay. that perform the dangerous but very important act of distracting angry bulls so that the bull rider can safely leave the arena. How much does
1: that guy get paid? I'm I know, right? It can't be enough. There's some
3: serious hazard pay. Yeah. Oh, and
0: they're also so funny and entertaining while doing this. I right. love rodeo clowns. Well, did you know that clowns can sort of copyright their face makeup? Really? Character development is important to any entertainer, and the face makeup of a clown is a visual extension of that. I see. The specifics of the face are developed over time with the character development and acts as a way for people to recognize a specific clown. So
1: it's their own, then.
0: That's right. So as you wouldn't want any other clown to copy your makeup for their own act, so to keep this from happening, a clown will have their specific face design painted onto a ceramic egg (laughs) and enter it into the clown egg register.
1: I see. Where does this exist? Is
3: this a plastic egg? No, ceramic. ceramic. It's a ceramic egg. Okay, I'm just making sure it's like, It's
0: an egg because it started out as actual eggshells. So the practice of painting a clown egg, or clown face onto an egg started in 1946 by a does member. Does the clown
1: have to know how to do that?
0: Well, no, listen. Okay. No, I I'm think sorry, somebody does ahead. it for him. <laughs> I think somebody does it for him, honestly. That's a good question. There's
1: a clown egg artist, evidently. <laughs> right. Okay,
2: so in
0: 1946, a member of the Clowns International, then called International Circus Clowns Club, Stan Bolt, painted the – he would paint clown eggs on emptied out chicken eggs – or, I'm sorry, he would paint clown faces <laughs> on emptied out chicken eggs as a hobby.
2: Mm-hmm. It
0: involved into a useful record of faces for posterity as well as a way to memorialize the great clowns of the past. I see. So All today, right. the the clown egg registers a collection of more than 250 painted eggs that are now ceramic rather than actual eggshells. Okay. A few of them are currently on display at, and this is going to throw you, okay, the Holy Trinity Church. <laughs> I don't know okay. why it's in a church. Um, well, in Dalston. Which is home of the Clowns Gallery Museum run by Clowns International, and Dalston is in East London.
1: Oh, okay. So there is a place for them to so, be. There is a place. To so because.
0: Bolt painted about 200 eggs in total, and while most of them were lost and broken over the years, 36 of these fragile originals can be found at the church in Dalston, along okay. with another 46 clown eggs on permanent display. Hmm. When a new member registers with the organization, a replica of their personal makeup design is carefully painted onto a ceramic egg. And I think maybe they have people that do this. I you don't, know, hope so, don't you know, rather than the the clown doing it himself. But I don't know. I mean, if you're hey,
3: you got some talent. If you're artistic you're paid, enough, you're already painting your yeah. own face. Why so why? I
0: don't know. I don't know who does it. It's laser printer. Um, <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: but well, but it says that okay. So and then it's added to the register. And clowns help this tradition along by see. They send photos of their makeup made-up faces and swatches of fabric from their costumes, and the archive acts as sort of a non-legal but understood copyright to make sure each clown has a distinct look and no clowns are too similar. Interesting. So, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, clown eggs.
1: Very good. Well, that's a great start for us. Now, uh, something else that's uh, completely not like clown eggs but hopefully <laughs> interesting as well
3: and something completely different Now for
1: something completely different i've heard that before too somewhere um this was actually suggested by one of my co-teachers uh, my cohort teachers um at, at the school where i work mrs phyllis teasdale
0: i know miss teasdale
1: yeah it's pretty pretty neat lady um anyway she suggested that we do an episode about idioms okay yeah. idioms all right so uh we, we we found some idioms for you that are interesting What makes idioms different from other common phrases is that usually you cannot understand the given expression by its literal meaning. Imagine you're learning a new language and you hear someone saying it's raining cats or dogs. Right. Or tells you break a leg. Well, this would be (laughs) really confusing to you. People trying to learn our language is hard enough, especially with the many odd idioms that we have. You know, Leah, I've been a teacher for many years and not long ago, I heard a teacher's aide complaining about a kid who was running in the hall, and she said, quote, he ran lickety-split right past me. And so <laughs> I was thinking to myself, how would you explain, uh, translate lickety-split to somebody else? <laughs> you know, every
0: now and then I hear a phrase and I'm like, I need to use that more often. Right. <laughs> lickety-split. lickety-split. <laughs> that's, that's one Right album.
1: past me. Well, rarely does someone know the origin story of a popular saying, as language is always changing. Often expressions that make perfect sense to one generation will be carried on by future generations, without any clue of what the expression originally meant. Okay, I can remember as a kid being told "your needle is stuck," meaning like a record player <laughs> needle uh, is is you know you know stuck and it would it would keep going on and on at the same spot. Well. Now people don't understand what that experience is like <laughs> of hearing a stuck record needle, but, but they, you still might hear someone say your needle is stuck. And, and I, will say, old, I, I will
3: say that record players are coming back. They well, are coming true. back. Which my is kids really have, bizarre. My kids have record players. It's like you get your kid that says, "Hey, I want some vinyl," and you're like, yeah, "Why?" You make it a costume. <laughs> yes.
1: <right. laughs> so anyway, today we're going to look at several. Uh, obscure idioms. I got my information from boardpanda.com and from mentalfloss.com, and I'll be sharing the info on the idioms uh, throughout this episode. We'll mix them in here because we don't uh, overwhelm you with idioms all at once. (laughs) But let's start off with one that you may have heard of before. The walls have ears. Right. The wall has ears. Uh, Meaning, be careful what you say as Mm -hmm. people may be eavesdropping. Well, now you might think that this is a modern saying related to electronic surveillance, but the saying actually goes back to the mid-1500s in Paris. What is today the Louvre Museum was then the Louvre Palace. Uh, It was believed that a network of listening tubes, uh, so that it would be possible to hear everything was said in different rooms, was built into the con- in, in the construction of the palace. Oh, wow. Interesting. So people say this is how uh, Queen Catherine de' Medici discovered political secrets and plots against her oh. by listening through the tube. So the walls have ears.
0: We always said that about our kids. <laughs> <laughs> our
1: little pitchers. That's another one. Little yeah, pitchers have right. big ears. That's right. That yeah. yep. yeah. uh, now how about bury the hatchet? You heard this one? Meaning end a quarrel or conflict and become friendly. Uh, evidently, during negotiations between the Puritans and the Native Americans, men would bury all of their weapons, making them inaccessible. And it's actually believed that this custom may have come from the Native Americans themselves as a practice when tribes joined together to face, com- face a common threat. In a ceremony, they buried a stone hatchet under a tree to signal the completion of their negotiation. Oh, so cool. bury the hatchet All right. Hmm. put your differences aside. How about now, caught red-handed?
0: Yeah, uh, no, that's like being caught
1: you know, stealing, stealing candy. Stealing something, or whatever. right? <laughs> <Red> candy. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Well, according, <laughs> according to the article, um, it, it's used to indicate that a person has been discovered in or just after the act of doing something wrong or illegal. Right. Well, it's thought that it was an old law stating that if someone butchered an animal that didn't belong to him... Ah. He would only be punished if he was caught with blood on his hands. If one was caught with the meat, but his hands were clean, he would not be punished, or at least not as severely. But If he were okay. caught red-handed, he would face the full punishment. Okay? Wow. <clears throat> now, as one you mentioned earlier, uh, reigning cats and dogs.
0: Right. Now, I've never understood this one.
1: Right. Well, the idiom has two different stories that try to explain it, so we're not actually sure, so pick over whichever one you like. Uh, The first explanation says that the origin of this phrase comes from Norse mythology where cats were symbolized uh, by, actually cats symbolized heavy rains and dogs were associated with the god of storms, Odin. Hmm. Which is funny because my uh, stepdaughter actually has a huge lab named Odin. Uh, (laughs) The second version says that in 16th century England, houses had thatched roofs, which were one of the few places where animals were able to get warm. Sometimes when it would start to rain heavily, roofs would get slippery and the cats and dogs would fall off, making it look like it was raining cats and dogs.
0: <laughs> I like that
1: one. Yeah, I like that one too, but I kind of tend to lean toward the other one, but I guess it could happen. Uh,
0: just because you like Norse mythology. Well, that's yeah. true.
1: <laughs> Probably true. All right, how about this one? Blood is thicker than water.
3: Well, okay. Rel- uh, relations
1: Okay Yeah um, But actually the meaning is a little bit different than what you think uh, We've come to use it that family relationships and loyalties are the strongest and the most important ones Right And even though we might think that this saying means that we should put family ahead of friends It actually means the complete opposite, opposite. Yeah hmm. The full phrase, we're kind of only getting the partial phrase
3: I Leave it to us yeah. <laughs>
1: But the full phrase actually was, "The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb." And oh. it ref- yeah, and it refers to warriors who shared the blood that they shed in battle together. These quote "blood brothers were said to have stronger bonds than actual biological bl- brothers, so oh. their blood is thicker than water." Well, People that's you've gone really
0: through. interesting.
1: People you've gone through battle with, you certainly do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: so we've just completely made that opposite. Okay.
1: Right. I I always thought it was meaning the family relationships were stronger than those outside, but it's just the opposite. Uh, Now, this is one that we hear a lot don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Mm -hmm. Okay. Meaning to find fault with something that has been received as a gift or a favor in the older days while buying a horse people would determine the horse's age and his health uh, condition based on its teeth and then decide whether they wanted to buy it or not however if the horse was a gift well, it'd be rude to do this, of course. Absolutely. At least in front of the one who bestowed the gift. Yeah, you uh, check it later, yeah, and then yeah, you and then afterwards. you regift it. Right. Yeah, to the glue
0: factory. <laughs> <To> the, <okay. laughs> no, sorry, sorry.
2: This is the reason
1: why people use the idiom to say it's rude to look yeah. look for flaws in a thing that was given to you as a gift. But yeah, <laughs> but okay, yeah, regifting is certainly a part of that too. Just not to the same party. <laughs> <laughs> now, how about the phrase "turn a blind eye"? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not very hard. I do see it, very well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Pretend not to notice. Well, it's believed that the origin of this phrase comes from naval hero Horatio Nelson, oh. Admiral Nelson, who used his blind eye to look through his telescope.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. The reason
1: that so he is that what this, happened to the Titanic? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the reason that he did this was to avoid seeing signals from his superiors who wanted him to withdraw from battle Instead, he looked at his blind eye, didn't see the signal, and continued on with the battle and was victorious as Ah. a result. Yeah, he ignored the orders to retreat. Lord Nelson, (laughs) that's right. Oh, and this one's sweet. Honeymoon. That's a nice time, isn't it? Meaning a holiday spent together by a newly married couple. Well, the origin of this uh, idiom, first recorded description of the word comes from the 1542. Work by a writer named Samuel Johnson, and he wrote, "The first month after marriage, when there is nothing but tenderness and pleasure," originally having no reference to the period of a month, but comparing mutual affection of newly married persons to the changing moon, which was no sooner full than that it begins <laughs> to wane.
0: <laughs> oh. oh no,
1: oh, goodness! Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. There's also a tradition that so, newlywed couples would have to drink a beverage with honey, probably mead, for an entire month for fertility and for good luck. Okay, so, so I've heard that <laughs>
3: one. I've heard that one.
1: But I, I kind of like the other one about the you – know, it, it can wane if you're so not So it's careful. either drown
3: your sorrows
1: <laughs> <laughs> or, are... to-
3: or toast your happiness. Take uh, your pick. <laughs> I'm still on my honeymoon after 12
1: years, so yeah. there you go.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. So, so let's bring it down. Let's let, this is um, these next couple of stories. You know I love legend and lore, and these uh-huh. next two stories are all about that. The double L. And uh, they're kind of dark, so. All right. So let's just, yeah, let's so just need bring it lights? down. Let's
1: get our flashlights <laughs> out.
0: So there's a very intriguing legend in Italy, more specifically from the island of Sardinia.
3: Cool.
0: The folklore is that a middle-aged woman would have the task of being Saffimina Acabadora, a woman appointed by the community who would be in charge of bringing death to people of any age in the event that they were in in a condition of terminal illness or injury.
2: Hmm.
0: Her intervention would be requested by the victim's family or even by the victim themselves as a form of necessary euthanasia. Oh, okay. The word acabadora derives from the Sardinian sacabu, meaning the end, or from the Spanish acabar, to terminate, meaning to terminate. The killing practices used by the femina acabadora varied depending on the circumstances. Hmm. She generally would enter the room of a dying person, and she would be be dressed all in black, of course, right, with her head and her face covered. And she would suffocate the person using a pillow, or she would strike them on the head or at the back of the neck with a short, thick stick made of olive wood so as to cause immediate death.
1: This is a different kind of femme fatale. Right? right? <laughs>
0: well, this was kind of like, this. she was chosen by the community, and right. it was, I think it was, you know.
3: Like a praise. In the yeah, way. it was, it it was yeah. a position
0: of honor, yeah. you right. know, to a certain degree. You put people so, out of their suffering. There would only be one Acabadora per generation, so she would become very adept at delivering a swift, painless death. But she was never paid for her services because there was uh, great superstition surrounding being paid yeah. for death right yeah. so and she's always a woman the justification for this being that only a woman can bring life into the world so only a woman can take it away oh it sounds see. like something i've said to my kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I've heard this before. Yeah, right? From sense. parents too. You into this world. Okay. Then. I will take you out.
3: The practice
0: of the Acabadora is thought to have continued in some northern Sardinian uh communities until the late nineteen seventies. But then some historians also think that maybe it was only a legend and never actually put into practice. And I got this information from weirditaly.com. Oh, that's a, that
1: looks like a great website. <laughs> I love Italy. <laughs> I and love the, that too.
0: this next one is about Jewish, the Jewish faith, which it, it is rich with customs and traditions right. that are just, uh-huh. they're amazing. They uh-huh. are so fascinating. So in the Jewish faith, there's a lot of mythology, lore, and practices that those of us on the outside never get to see or experience. One such practice is the Shavartse Hasina or black wedding. No, okay. It is a ceremony that is performed in the midst of a crisis, in the hopes of warding off the crisis. Hmm. The way it works is that the community who wants to perform this wedding selects the bride and groom. The two have never have two have never met before, okay. and a lot of the times they're orphans or homeless or somebody on the fringe of society. Uh-huh. So yeah, that they would have, yeah. So not they, your
1: prime family members, but somebody on the outside, right? Yeah.
0: Well, and, and, and it's all kind set of this curse. But well, it's kind of a charity case. So listen, so I it, got you. it's okay. it's somebody that would uh, normally have no chance of getting married by themselves. Uh, the wedding take, takes place inside of a cemetery and is financed by the community, who then also pledges to support the couple
1: oh wow the the wedding inside the cemetery right
0: it is hoped that by performing this form of charity the souls of the deceased buried in the cemetery would reward their efforts and intercede to block the crisis Uh the black wedding was performed often during times of plague or a pandemic so it is also known as a plague wedding okay the first historical account of a plague wedding goes back to 18 to 1831 russia during the cholera pandemic. Wow. Mm -hmm. Another written reference to such a ceremony is dated to uh, 1849 in Krakow, Poland. Okay. Some historians think that the tradition is even older, though. In any case, the ritual became firmly entranced in Jewish communities of the Russian Empire during the 1892 cholera outbreak. Hmm. So... Here's the thing. When Jews from Eastern Europe immigrated to the United States around the turn of the 20th century, they arrived just in time for the Spanish flu, flu oh, epidemic. I
1: gotcha. Good timing there. Yeah.
0: And they brought this custom of a plague wedding with them. There are records of two such weddings in Philadelphia and a third in New York City during the eight, 1918 epidemic. Hmm. But more may have been conducted elsewhere. Don't think, though, that this is a custom practiced only in old times. It was actually pre- performed just last year. Oh, oh right. wow. According to an article from AmusingPlanet.com, a black wedding ceremony took place in April of 2020 in a cemetery in uh, B'nai, let's say, uh Brak, uh-huh. Uh-huh, a city, city in Israel just east of Tel Aviv. Okay. The groom was an orphan, and while the identity of the bride was not disclosed, she was probably an orphan herself. I see. The two had never met before, never known each other, but were married in order to petition God and the souls of the people interred in the cemetery to intercede and bring an end to the COVID pandemic. Oh, so I got my information from Wikipedia, amusingplanet.com, and myjewishlearning.com.
1: I got I to wonder about the, the dynamics of that marriage. Then you, 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 you're married instantly to somebody you've never met. And uh, you're, um, you're married for one reason, because the community brought you together to break.
0: Right. And I assume that you yeah. cannot break that, that right. marriage vow so
1: you got to agree to that yeah you're going to stay yeah. with it really interesting so you got to be very dedicated to the values of the community right all right let's look at some more idioms now uh, you might be familiar with this one the the term white elephant
2: okay
0: thing.
1: yeah meaning a possession that is useless or troublesome especially one that is expensive to maintain or difficult to dispose of
0: Oh, that's interesting. No, I just always heard of it like white elephant gift, like right. like a Christmas
1: yeah <laughs> <Christmas White elephants, laughs> um, thing. I think my father had a pickup truck that he called his white elephant one time, but um, <laughs> um, among other things. Anyway, white elephants are were considered to be sacred creatures in Thailand, uh, yet they were also very hard to take care of.
0: Wait, these were actual white, yeah,
1: really actual elephant? white elephants—a real thing. Oh, yeah. okay. All
0: right.
1: Yeah. It's believed that the Siamese kings, Siam is now Thailand, um, would give white elephants as a subtle form of punishment. (laughs) I I
3: like you. But here you go. it's kind of frenemies,
0: <laughs> right. kind of passive-aggressive.
1: Exactly. Right. Okay. Because <laughs> taking care of the animal would drive the recipient into financial ruin because it's very expensive to take care of the white elephant, but they are sacred. So okay. yeah, let's, uh, Yeah. <laughs> this guy's a little uppity. Let's give him a white elephant. You know, That's when re-gifting
0: you. comes <laughs> into play. Like mm. you So, know? basically,
3: let's take him down a notch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I don't know how barbecued elephant tastes, but don't uh, you know, <laughs> know that would be a, have been an option there or not. Now, this is an interesting one. Give the cold shoulder. have heard that expression before? Mm-hmm. I always thought it was like, you know, when you're trying to ask someone out and they they rebuffed your efforts giving I've them the cold shoulder. I've experienced this idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you were the one giving the cold <laughs> shoulder, I would imagine.
3: Probably. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Take you
1: this. Anyway, it meant to reject or be deliberately unfriendly toward. However, the uh, the saying that, that is currently considered to describe someone as rude was actually considered an act of politeness, somewhat anyway. Okay. Uh, during medieval times in England, after everyone was done feasting, the host would give his guest a cold piece of meat from the shoulder of beef or pork as a way of showing that it's time for everyone to go home. <laughs> Been a nice party. That's great. Here's what? your cold shoulder. Glad Bye-bye you now. came over. Now but beat I it. <laughs> that's great. My
0: husband, my husband just gets up and goes, "Okay, good night." <laughs> goes to bed. Starts turning out the lights.
1: <laughs> now, I bet, oh, I bet you awesome. experienced this in your family. Um, riding shotgun. A few times. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It?
0: Yeah, you had to keep up with and well, you had okay, to so, call it. So, it, so yeah. you only had one kid. Yeah. I had four. Like, right. Well, I mean, and honestly, only I three f- competing for the shotgun play. I had four siblings
3: when I grew up. <laughs> oh, my
0: gosh. And as a mother, the the, the burden of having right. to keep track. I'm like, jeez. I,
1: I only had two children, and uh, my kids were growing up. And I believe we had an even odd system with the dates about whatever it was. One of them got to ride the even days, one of them got it to was ride the odd all who days. could
3: say it the fastest. Oh, yeah.
0: these are the problems. These are the yeah. serious uh-huh. problems, people. It,
1: anyway, riding shotgun with meaning used to claim the right to sit in the front passenger seat of a vehicle or on a particular journey. The expression referred to the passenger of an old-fashioned stagecoach who sat next to the driver with a shotgun to protect, the attack, uh, to protect from attackers right. and robbers okay. along the way. Uh, There is no evidence to suggest that the expression was actually used in the times of the Wild West, but most likely came about much later when the media and films and movies, television shows began to romanticize that period of writing shotgun kind of became... I
0: reject your reality. It was totally a Wild West thing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
1: yeah, so you can see Wild Bill. I got shotguns. That's right. (laughs) Well, now, crocodile tears. You ever heard somebody talk about crocodile tears? Yeah, the meanings tears are expressions of sorrow that are insincere. Uh, The actually, this is a pretty old reference. Uh, This comes from a 14th century book called "The Travels of Sir John Mandeville," and recounts a knight's adventure through Asia. Uh, In the book, it says that crocodiles shed tears while eating a man they captured. Even though this is factually inaccurate, the phrase <laughs> I was going to say
3: how how do they know? <laughs> <laughs> the
1: phrase "crocodile tears" found its way into Shakespeare's work and became an idiom in the 16th century, sim- uh, symbolizing insincere grief. So, crocodile tears.
0: Shakespeare created a lot of idioms.
1: Exactly, a lot of idioms. Furthered them as well. In fact, we'll get to him in some of our in our Christmas list in a minute. Oh, that's a little teaser. Drop that <laughs> teaser <laughs> in there. Yeah, Christmas list. <laughs> now, how about this one? Close, but no cigar. You've okay, heard that yeah. One? yeah. Yeah. Well, that means almost, but not quite but. successful. Back in the late 19th century, carnival games were not targeted toward kids so much as they are today, but they were actually targeted toward adults. And so um, well, the winters, the money. Yeah, the winners would often get cigars as a prize instead of the stuffed animals that we're familiar with today. So if the person was close to winning, but not quite successful, they were, quote, close. But no cigar. cigar. Okay, Where that comes from. Onward and upward. (laughs) Uh, Waking up on the wrong side of the bed. Uh, Meaning start the day off in a bad temper.
0: I've had well, that that referred to yeah. me quite
1: often.
0: Not <laughs> Some a people person. are just not morning people.
3: That's right. Exactly. And then there's the rest of us.
1: Well, now throughout ancient times, the, the left side of basically anything was considered to be the evil side.
0: <laughs> yeah. So waking up
1: on the left side was considered a sign of bad luck. <laughs> to ward off evil, uh, house owners would often push the left side of the bed up to the corner or against the wall so the guests would have no other option than to get up on <laughs> the right side of the bed. Not the wrong side, which was the left side. That's
3: my problem. I get up off the left side of the bed all the time. No, yeah. no, wait, no, I don't care.
1: <laughs> now, is it your left as you're laying there, or is your left right, as you're looking at the if bed? You're facing, I, I, don't I mean, that, our left or their left?
3: That we need to get more specific. Yeah. Right? I, don't, I just,
0: I, I think it's so interesting how that whole left-handedness was such a, a thing, and just right. left was. Anyway, I have a left-hander, and I can't imagine. so left is not imagine, right.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, and how
0: teachers would force the
3: kids to learn I mean, how it, to do yeah. right-handed yeah. things. That was, a,
1: that was a horrible thing that you know, a lot of left-handed kids went through back in the day. Yes. Now, I've, I've, I've never I've heard this expression, but I didn't know uh, where it came from. Put a sock in it.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Okay, and that means stop talking or stop being so loud. I've been told this quite often. <laughs> I
0: may have said well, it quite often. <laughs>
1: Evidently, to
0: fill. <laughs>
1: no. You know, uh, you know, Thomas Edison. Uh, he invented that great gramophone, that oh, uh, yeah. first record player, but it didn't include a volume control. Okay, <laughs> so uh, ah, it, people would often put woolen socks uh, inside the horn of the uh, of the record player or gramophone or whatever they had uh, to lower the sound because it had no volume controller. So that's how you. Cut the volume down. It looks too loud. Turn it off. Quote, put a sock in it. Okay. (laughs) Now, we've all experienced this one best man, Mm -hmm. meaning a male friend or relative chosen by the bridegroom to assist him at his wedding. Well, it's said that during the feudal days, it was possible that a rival lord would try to break up a wedding ceremony and steal the bride for political reasons. I've read some books about that, I think. To avoid any trouble, grooms would ask their best friends to stand next to them during the ceremony, so they would uh, help uh, during possible battle. The man standing next to the groom was thus named the best man.
0: Okay, okay, that might, that makes a lot of sense. All right,
1: it's somebody you trust there. And finally, uh, how about the "steal one's thunder"? Heard okay. this expression, meaning sure. win praise for oneself by preempting someone else's attempt to impress. Well, you might uh, uh, you think that uh, you've done something awesome and unique, but someone got in there first and took your credit. Spare a thought for playwright John Dennis, who back in 1709 made a machine that nicely mimicked the sound of thunder for his play. Sadly, his play wasn't a success, but somebody had taken note of his clever invention, when later on, during a different play in the same theater, Dennis found somebody was using his thunder machine,
3: and was using without
1: credit. He really got upset, really mad. And he quoted as saying, "That is my thunder, by God! The villains who play with my thunder, but they will not my play." Wait a minute, I messed that up.
3: <laughs> I liked it. It was very emphatic.
1: Let's try that one again. Yeah, this is th- this is what he said. Really, this is this time I'm going to get it right. This is what he said. Quote: "That is my thunder." By God, the villains will play my thunder, but not my play. That's what he was really saying.
0: <laughs> That's it. That's because, it.
1: of course, somebody had stolen Filling his, his thunder. thunder. There you go.
0: You want some more champagne?
1: <laughs> Probably had the sip was enough already.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay, so did you have a slinky when you were a kid?
1: I had. one. I still have one. Yeah.
0: Okay, so a slinky is one of those toys that I enjoyed, but my kids did too.
1: Yeah. It's such
0: a simple and fun design that the toy has stayed popular ever since it hit the market in 1945. Of course, the original slinky was made of metal, so it'd get right. that funny smell Ching. to it yeah. over time. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember. And sometimes it would make your hand black. A you know, bit. yeah. And my kids had plastic slinkies oh, that yeah. came in all kinds of colors but whether they're plastic or metal they still slink downstairs alone or in pairs but did you know that if your parents bought you a slinky toy odds are that a good chunk of that money went to a christian cult
3: oh
1: really i didn't <laughs> yeah. not know that okay that was very yeah.
3: slinky of them
1: <laughs> was this the one in that ace ventura movie where he does a slinky all the way down that huge flight of stairs and then it stops on the very last one you ever seen that
0: uh, no, Pet, I haven't.
1: I'm uh, I yeah, Pet Detective 2, I think that's what it was. Oh. Uh, and he goes, oh, that us
3: And no cigar. Oh, my. <laughs>
1: anyway, Bring go it ahead. In. Don't Bring
3: let it us interrupt in. you.
0: <laughs> Slinky was developed by an engineer at a naval shipyard in Philadelphia. His name was Richard T. James. When Richard saw a torsion spring fall off a table, he was bemused by the way it wiggled when it hit the floor and thought it would make a great toy. <laughs> Why he not? worked. He worked around the clock to find just the right combination of lightness and springiness. Uh, no small feat during wartime rationing. I guess so. He was finally able to take his product to market by the uh, by late 1945. The Slinky was a hit and became wow. a national phenomenon, making Richard really rich. Wow. Richard and his wife Betty you know, lived Richie with their rich. yeah Richie wow. Rich. Richard and his wife Betty lived with their growing family on a 12 acre estate in an affluent area of Philly. No one knows quite what led to this, but Richard found religion, not just any religion. According to Betty, who didn't share his newfound zeal, Richard had hooked up with an evangelical Christian sect that she considered to be a cult. Betty did attend a rival meeting with Richard, but was mortified and Mm -hmm. never went back. But Richard continued to attend and made sizable donations to the organization. Betty and Richard's relationship was not the best. Probably due to their differing (laughs) religious beliefs, the Slinky Toys sales started plummeting and in no small part due to Richard's philandering. So it was no surprise. Yeah. So, I mean, like he was giving, he was taking a lot of the money out of the company and putting it towards this religious sect. And he was cheating on her. And, you know, so it didn't come as a surprise when in early 1960, Richard Richard had had more than
1: a screw loose. (laughs) yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he did. Well, but, you know, riches also kind of do that to people. Yeah. They kind of think yeah. that they're above everything else. Anyway, so he announced in 1960 that he was moving to Bolivia to work for his religious group. Bolivia, the, of all the places. Of all so the pla- pla- well, that's kind of where this, this religious sect had set up camp. I see. And the business was nearly bankrupt by that time. And he told Betty she could either run it or sell it. He didn't care. Richard had diverted so much of the company's resources to the religious interest that he left millions of dollars in unpaid bills. Oh, oh wow! So in order to provide for her family, uh, newly single Betty decided to keep the company going. She asked the creditors to be patient and she proved to be an astute businesswoman as she slowly pulled the company out of debt and put it back on its feet. Uh-huh. Every so often Betty would still hear from James. He once asked that she and the children jo- join him in Bolivia. And she never replied to that letter.
3: <laughs> I guess not. You're on your own, bud. Mm-hmm.
0: Instead, she stayed put and ran James Industries, as the Slinky Company was called, for nearly four decades before selling out to another toy company for what I assume to be a ton of cash. Oh, no, sure, right? So any money spent on a Slinky prior to 1960 also supported some dubious ventures. Oh, wow. <laughs> but since then, the money has been well spent by Betty. Oh,
1: sure.
0: And I got my information from thestraightdope.com.
1: Well, that's that's really <laughs> interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love uh, I love Slinky, but that's a you know that's that's, that's a bizarre story about uh, Mr. James there, <laughs> disappearing to Bolivia. Uh, I probably I'm, I'm thinking that I might have gotten a Slinky for Christmas one year, but it was after 1960. Now that the great, well, good. Com- there you go. Now that great commercial came out about 1964. when I remember, you know, what was It pairs. It makes mm-hmm. the slinkity mm-hmm. sound. Yeah. And
0: I assume it only makes a slinkity sound the
1: if of the it's day. metal.
3: Yes, right. <laughs>
2: Plastic one, not so much. <laughs> Right. Yeah.
0: But yeah, every and like our generation and, and before knows that jingle.
1: Right. Uh-huh. And, and by the way, Mister James and Slinky, if you're looking for a podcast to sponsor, <laughs>
0: we'd
2: right. love to talk
1: with you. Now, anyway. Um, Speaking of Christmas, though, it's it's time. That's right. Maybe we, we a little time. drum roll for us to unveil the. Thank you, that's enough. Okay, <laughs> that's, enough. Enough. that's enough. Stop that's enough. <laughs> so uh, the I have to Put a sock in it now. <laughs> yeah, put a sock in that. The 2021 Remnants Do Christmas Gift Buying Guide. <laughs> yeah. And you there know, was much
3: praise and much laughter.
1: Exactly. Uh, Yes, Christmas time is almost here. Perhaps you have let it sneak up on you this year. Well, you've come to the right place. Yes, it's time to unveil the Remnants Due 2021 gift buying guide. You're sure to find something for that hard to buy person on your list.
3: We all have one.
1: Exactly. Well, now here's the perfect gift for that hat lover in your family. Of course, baseball caps are great. But Mm -hmm. the problem is that they can only convey two messages. One, I'm having a bad hair day. (laughs) And two, whatever is stitched onto the panel above the bill. Well, from ChalkinSocial.com, we bring you the Chalkboard Baseball Cap. Hey, there you go. It's a colorful baseball cap with a 4-inch by 6-inch chalkboard attached just above the bill, so you can create your own uh, own message every day. It even comes with a box of multicolored chalk, only eighty nine dollars for a three pack. Whoa. That's three hats and three boxes of chalk. So there you go.
3: That's you can... a that's a lot of money. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I could make you one. <laughs> did, they, did, did they do whiteboards? Uh, no, actually they didn't.
1: this actually showed real chalk. You know, yeah. so you know, actual chalk, real boards. So there you go. Now, perhaps you have an aeronautics engineer on your list, or oh. just someone who likes to tinker with stuff. There you go, Phil. Well, they could go nuts for this portable propeller that you can attach to a paper airplane and control with your fo- with your phone.
3: Oh, that's cool! Bring it on. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. What are you doing in the church building?
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be services so
3: cool. going on. <laughs>
1: right.
0: We do what we want.
1: From PowerUpToys.com, you can quote explore the limits of aerodynamics by creating unique planes that push your creativity and our propellers to the limit. I'm, special, I'm buzzing the preacher now exactly <laughs> special holiday bundle only 89 dollars. what
0: is this 89 uh, dollars? i don't have 89
1: you, you gotta, that's a lot of money well, the, the rest of them are a little bit lower so we're getting down to the kind of started at the penthouse you see and then we work okay. our way down to the okay, to okay. The bargain basement here now perhaps you have that fussy ant who likes to keep her home looking perfect, just like in one of those design magazines.
3: Is it a white glove with dust on it already? could be.
1: (laughs) Well, she's bound to go head over heels for a novelty tissue box from theapollobox.com. You can select from any of three tasteful designs that distribute tissues from the mouth of a skull, (laughs) from the nose of an Easter Island statue. Oh, I love that. Or... dum-dum, got yum-yum. This is my personal favorite. From the nose and mouth of the bard himself, William Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> That's
2: now, great. Now, this,
1: this, this was only $61.77. Oh, got a, these We've we got a picture of this one. I mean, you got Kleenexes right out, or tissues right out of the, uh, the bard's mouth, you know. <laughs> White ant wouldn't love that.
0: Yeah, we're, we're going to have pictures of that one.
1: White elephant. No.
0: <laughs> white elephant gift. That's, I'm cheap. I'm cheap. I don't know. I'm thinking I'm just bringing a roll of toilet paper to the white elephant gift
1: <laughs>
0: <stage>.
1: <laughs> And then wonder how it got in your trees on your, on your property. That means they like me, I think. Now, this is one of my favorites. Uh, I really love this gift. Uh, for that book lover who also happens to be a pet owner and a firearms enthusiast. <laughs> oh, no. We have the perfect gift. From author Zachary Auburn comes the terrific new read, How to Talk to Your Cat About Gun Safety.
2: <laughs> Sweet.
1: <laughs> it's certainly high time that somebody addressed this important topic. Don't you agree? Uh, according yes. to the website offthewagon.com, this sure-to-be bestseller addresses many issues of importance to cat owners, including... Quote, what is the right age to talk to my cat about the proper use of firearms? Maybe
3: it's time to get back on the wagon.
1: And, quote, what are the benefits of my cat living a life of abstinence? (laughs) (laughs) And especially, why does my cat need to use the internet? Can't they just play with yarn like cats used to do? This is only $12. Okay, so okay, now, I we're, now do, we're getting Yeah, yeah, of, now we're talking. So okay. I think this would be an entertaining uh, read to have in your house. You uh, also, I'm, I got a
3: tear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> also from offthewagon.com. This is a good website. way. Uh, I good think stuff I'll there. Uh, find them later. Yeah. Right. Comes a wonderful gift for that accident-prone literarian on your list. In fact, uh, the item could also make a great pairing with the barred tissue holder mentioned above. It's a nifty box of Shakespearean insult bandages.
0: Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, I no. love it. Stalking stuffer. Right.
1: Yes, each of the 15 bandages is emblazoned with one of the bard's greatest insults. Here's one from Henry, Henry VIII, Part Two. Quote, thy wit is as thick as Tewsberry mustard. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Or, how about from Midsummer Night's Dream, Act Two, Scene One? I am sick. When I do look on thee, <laughs> feel the burn. You need some ointment with the gun of burn the bard was laying out there. Oh, aren't you? that's great! It includes fifteen bandages and a free surprise in all, all in one tin box. Only five ninety nine now. Nice, that's, good. Hey. that's a good buy right there. I want
0: to know what that free surprise is.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: burn, stock- cream.
3: Oh, no. burn cream. Stocking stuffer has a completely different meaning now. Right. For sure. <laughs>
1: And finally from R2 Solutions a gift for that friend who owns an unruly goldfish the <laughs> goldfish Gold. training kit. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I said jump. <laughs> Sold through amazon.com for only 29.99. The oh. kit comes complete with a 45-minute detailed instructional DVD. <laughs> Wait, I don't have a player. <laughs> <laughs> Featuring world-famous fish trainer, everybody knows about this world-famous fish trainer, Dr. Dean P-O-R-M-E. Oh, he's world famous. No, I'm sorry, I said her on Pomerleau. P-O-M-E-R-L-E-A-U.
0: The fish whisperer. <laughs> the fish
1: whisperer. <laughs> he's, he's, also, he's popular now. Also includes a full color manual with over 100 photos <laughs> and packed with training tips. And also the easy to use targeted feeding wand, which comes with each kit, making it easy to reward your fish at the correct times. But the main feature of this kit is the portable soccer field. <laughs> yes, you can teach your goldfish to play soccer. <laughs> and there is a picture, uh, we'll include this on our Facebook page of the, the goldfish. He, he actually does know the game's played with soccer.
3: 11 men on posts, <laughs> well, 11 is just- people ish
0: fish <laughs> on both sides
3: right as finger quotes are um, going I, on a team
0: a team or you, you, a school
3: well, able, like, a school of 11
1: i, I think you need the soccer. advanced version to get the team ver- this, is just, this is more of a training version for your one fish before he goes on to off to ta- play other fish oh, you know, or you take my. him into competition
0: there you go so if you need if you need christmas gift <laughs> ideas there we're, we're here so for what you're here.
1: really yeah, saying
3: but... is that's guppy steps Exactly. <laughs> oh mercy!
1: Actually, you said that. I didn't say that. Oh yes, me. I'm sorry.
3: Yes, I did. <laughs> Thank you.
1: So yeah, there's there's a, there should be something there for everybody on your Christmas list.
0: My goodness. Okay. Okay. Reeling it back in. <laughs> Why? Okay. So modern Western music, especially jazz or rock and roll, wasn't allowed behind the Iron Curtain.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember those, yeah.
0: But music lovers in 50s-era Soviet Union found ways to smuggle in the musical strains of things like Rock Around the Clock and Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: This is the story of bone music.
1: Bone music, okay. In a
0: time when music was being recorded onto vinyl records, those in the communist areas realized that a record could be pressed into just about anything that could be easily smuggled past prying eyes. And so, black market Western music began to filter into the Soviet Union on things like road signs, <laughs> cake plates, oh. and just about anything that could be made into a record. At some point, some enterprising music lover realized that there was a literal mountain of resource material in discarded used X-ray films. Oh,
1: nice! Oh, mm-hmm. Okay.
0: <laughs> and so, bone music was born. Recordings right. played a completely
3: different visual on this. <laughs> Okay. It's it's...
0: This is a family show.
3: <clears throat> and it, so it's bone. It's not me- on the ribs, again. Okay. No. Well, you know what? No. It
0: is also called rib music. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh. That is a that yeah, that's it's nice. also called rib music. Or actually colloquially known as ribs. Anyway, so um <laughs> according to Wikipedia, medical x rays purchased or picked out of the trash from hospitals and clinics were used to create the recordings. Nice. The x-rays were cut into seven-inch discs using just regular scissors, mm-hmm. and a center hole was burned into the disc with a cigarette. Nice. Grooves were cut with the help of special machines made from old phonographs that originally were used to cut wax discs mm-hmm. into records. Okay, so the quality was awful, but the price was low, and the discs could be play- played five to ten times. Okay. And so music was able to be heard. I mean, it, you know, wow. we, now we're so used to just downloading whatever we want, right. you know, yes. just seeing. But but when you aren't, you know, able exposed to, to that and able seriously. to do it, like, people get creative. Oh, yeah. And so these these recordings, like I said, were colloquially known as RIBS. And there's several still around today, but they're quickly snatched up by collectors. I
1: guess oh, so. yeah, for sure. But I love the image of uh, teenagers in the Soviet Union crowded up in somebody's bedroom listening to... Elvis Presley on an x-ray somewhere. Yeah, it's an, it's an x-ray.
0: It's somebody's broken wrist or right. a skull fracture or whatever. I got my information from theguardian.com and Wikipedia. So that's
3: where heavy metal came from. Oh, mm. yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, and so um, in another story.
3: <laughs> I'm waiting on this one. I don't know. Yeah.
0: The, yeah. <laughs> Phil got the rec- record sheet, and he's like, Anti-gluttony door? What? Okay, so this this is the story. The Alcobaca Monastery in Portugal features Gothic arches from its original construction in the 12th century and Baroque towers added in the 18th century. Inside, however, you'll find a peculiar doorway topped with a Romanesque arch and leading to the kitchen. The monks had to pass through this to get their food from the kitchen, then pass through it to take it to the refectory to eat it. Thing is, the door measures only twelve point six inches wide.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can you go through it sideways? And and yeah, anyone you could fit through
0: it. Like I'm thinking sideways. You (laughs) had to do it sideways. And any monk that couldn't fit through the door was not allowed to eat. The monks had to fast until they could fit through it again through the anti-gluttony doorway. After all, gluttony is one of the seven seven deadly deadly sins. sins.
1: Not not a terrible idea, to be honest with you. So is being famished.
0: (laughs) (laughs) These monks were of the Cistercian, I think it's called, order. They were farmers, and they ate what they harvested, Mm -hmm. and they must have been good at it. (laughs) Because they were well known to be...
1: Jolly. Let's just call him Jolly.
0: <laughs> so the door was installed as a dietary device. A
1: plump monk.
0: And completely unrelated to this, the inscription carved above the entrance to the refectory Biter would translate to <laughs> consider that you eat the sins of the people. What? <laughs> That's what's making them fat.
1: I don't know. But um, well, sure. I and, don't, I and don't I quite am, understand that, but okay. <laughs> and,
0: and the door to my kitchen is roughly like nine feet wide. <laughs>
3: there, wait,
1: there's a door?
3: <laughs>
0: I got my information from Ph. Wasn't
1: there a, a, a saying, fatty, fatty, two by four, couldn't, couldn't fit, fit through fit the, through the chicken kitchen door? door. <laughs> kitchen door. Yeah.
0: Yes, I do I remember that. that somehow.
1: I don't remember what that was about. Anyway. All right, well, let's back to to some more idioms. Let's throw in some more idioms. How about my ears are burning? Mm -hmm. I heard that one this morning. Yeah. Meaning one is subconsciously aware of being talked about or criticized. Uh, the idiom dates back to ancient Romans, who believed that burning sensations in various organs had different meanings. <laughs> <laughs> like, one, you could be on fire, but anyway. Uh, in fact, it was believed Disease. that... Yeah, that could be too. It was believed that if your left ear is burning, it signaled an evil intent. Well, there's that left ear again going. A to Brute? However, if your right ear was burning, you were actually being praised. Okay. Yeah.
0: I've heard all kinds of things, like if you sneeze, then somebody's thinking of you or uh-huh. something like that. I've heard all kinds of things like that. Okay.
1: That happens a lot in you sneeze. Yeah, especially <laughs> during <laughs> allergy season. Yeah. Now, uh, blue blood, this means be, uh, noble birth. Now, saying that someone has blue blood comes from the Middle Ages, where it was believed that those who had pale skin, meaning their ancestors had not intermarried with darker skin partners, were noble or aristocrat. The main reasoning behind it is that when those uh, pale-skinned people, their veins actually do kind of look blue. Uh, and so, hence it was thought that they had blue blood. They didn't get it out enough. Yeah, yeah well, and,
0: well, I think it also had yeah. to do with that, too. They didn't have to work out in the sun and well,
1: things be like that. They as well, yeah. right. They, they, were, they were, it may have been fair-skinned already, too.
0: Well, and then there's the, the blue fugates of Kentucky who were so interbred that they... <laughs> 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 that they had a condition where they were blue. so you know
1: uh, Leah is from Kentucky. <laughs> it one step further, folks. Don't we'll send us letters from Kentucky. <laughs> she loves you all. We love you. We love Kentucky. We love the Bluegrass State. Yeah, the exactly. bluegrass. We love that. Lexington is a neat city. I like that I like town. Nice town.
0: Oh mercy. Anyway,
1: <laughs> um, oh yeah. Here we are. Every cloud has a silver lining meaning negative mm-hmm. occurrences may have a positive aspect to it. This expression can be traced directly from a piece written in 1634 by English poet John Milton called "Comus," a mask, presented at Ludlow Castle. He spoke of a silver lining of brightness behind a gloomy cloud, and soon afterward Milton's clouds became a staple of English literature. The proverb, every cloud has a silver lining, eventually came into being in, a, in the 1800s. A time of optimism and positivity in the upper classes of Victorian England. So every cloud is a silver lining. Right?
0: Okay, so so you sent me this in order to put it in our notes. And, and I realized that what I thought about this wasn't true. I remember asking my mom what that meant, mm-hmm. you know, silver lining behind the cloud. And she right. showed me a cloud, you know, with the sun behind it. Right. It looked like it had a silver lining. And I don't know if she told me or if I just made that connection. We had China. With a silver uh-huh. silver lining to it, okay. a silver around edge. the edges, yeah. yeah, around the edges. And I thought, you know, that's not your regular china. that you just eat like saltines on? This is the right. Ritz cracker china. You know, <laughs> <Wow>. the best. <laughs> Man.
1: It's Absolutely. the best china. You Y'all were know? living it up in Kentucky, weren't you?
0: <laughs> and that was the silver lining. Yeah, I got you. So, anyway, I don't know. Okay, so it has nothing whatsoever to do with China. No, nothing
1: to do with tableware, no. But, yeah, yeah, no. but
0: yeah. up until today, I thought so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it means a, a negative uh, occurrence could have a positive aspect That's to right. it. That's right. Yeah. Well, anyway, now this one I did not know. I'm kind of surprised I didn't. The whole nine yards.
0: Oh, I know. I, yeah, I know. Meaning about to this. do
1: everything that is possible or available. Uh, but so you f-
3: didn't get the first down. Just yeah, saying. Could be,
1: yeah, <laughs> not quite ten. Uh, the several possible explanations, but the most verifiable relates to American pilots during World War II. Pilots would have a nine-yard chain of ammunition to fire through their onboard machine guns. When a pilot, a fighter pilot, used all of their ammunition on one target, they had used quote the whole nope. nine, nine, nine yards. yards. Yeah, That's right, the whole nine yards. He wanted it gone. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I knew about that one. I about uh, that
1: one. Easy one here, a piece of cake, meaning mm-hmm. something easily achieved. Uh, the saying, piece of cake, comes from the American poet Ogden Nash, who in 1930 was quoted as saying, quote, life is a piece That's of a cake.
0: T- okay, so nothing to do with Marie Antoinette. Uh, evidently, <laughs> not.
1: <laughs> evidently not. Evidently not. Um, you know, let him eat cake. Anyway, um, pull out all the stops, you've heard the saying, meaning uh, make a very great effort to achieve something Pipe organs evidently have knobs that are called stops. The stop controls the amount of airflow through the pipes. If they're all pushed in, uh, hardly any air gets through the pipes. As the stops are pulled out, the volume of the organ increases. With the stops pulled out, the organist can play at a much higher volume. So pulling out all the stops would let the organist squeeze the maximum volume out of the instrument. And So it's come to mean doing everything possible to accomplish uh, some task pulling what? out all the stops i had
0: no idea i thought it was like pull out all of the obstacles okay. move all the obstacles out of the way
1: all right how about resting on your laurels okay it okay. had nothing to do with laurel and hardy but uh, which are two of my <laughs> favorites but <sighs> that was so sad thank you anyway um it means being uh, being so satisfied with what you've already accomplished that you make no further effort um since the ancient greeks uh Sorry, since ancient Greece, rather, laurel branches symbolized victory and success. Mm -hmm. This plan was closely tied to Apollo, the god of music, prophecy, and poetry. Laurel branches were given to victorious athletes in ancient Greece and later to generals who won important battles. Thus, the term laureates uh, were, uh, I'm sorry, that's L-A-U-R-E-A-T-E-S. Laureates, I believe is correct. And the phrase resting on laurels. In the 19th century, the term received a negative connotation to describe those who were overly satisfied with their previous achievements and make little efforts to move further. they resting on their laurels or their past achievements.
3: Yeah. Okay. I like the Laurel and Hardy one better. <laughs> uh,
1: now, how about wolf in sheep's clothing? Meaning a person or a thing that appears friendly or harmless, but is really hostile. You've heard this one before. Uh, the warning that you can't necessarily trust someone who appears kind and friendly on the outside is centuries old. Actually, it dates back to the Bible
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in the right. in the English language. The King James version of the Bible uh, came out in the year 1611. It has the passage in Matthew chapter seven, verse 15: Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So okay. Be aware of those people that come up to you, appearing to be friendly. But may not actually wolves be. Wolves in sheep's clothing. And there yeah, you go. Yeah, also
0: be aware of wolves in grandma's clothing. No, that's
1: true. <laughs> our, red our, riding yeah. hood. <laughs> <clears throat> Now, read the Riot Act you ever heard that There's somebody say they're going to read the Riot Act just yes. or read once, you yeah. the
3: Riot or read you the Riot Act yes. exactly.
1: Yeah,
0: you've been you've been told that before, haven't
1: you? Uh, somewhere along the <laughs> way, I'm sure.
3: I fully admit, more than once.
1: <laughs> that means giving someone a strong warning that they must improve their behavior. Well, I do that multiple times a day in my classroom, <laughs> <laughs> and I still say, eh, "Yeah, okay." Well, the origin came in the 18th century England. The Riot Act actually was a legal document that was read aloud in front of a crowd bigger than 12 people that were considered a threat to the peace. A public official would read the small part of the act and order people to leave peacefully within uh, an hour. Anyone who remained after one hour was subject to arrest or removal by force. So they had been read the Riot Act.
0: There's a lot so. that can happen in an hour. I'm thinking, exactly.
1: I'm thinking I still got going. time. Yeah, <laughs> so. I could be out of here in an hour after I've done what I need to do. Well, I could be long gone in an hour after I break this window. But anyway, uh, oh, speaking of breaking things, how about breaking the ice? Yeah. yeah. Meaning do or say something to relieve tension or to get conversations going in a strange situation or when strangers meet.
3: I've been asked to do this a few times. Okay. Yeah, an icebreaker. <laughs>
1: right. In the Mm -hmm. old days, commercial ships would often get stuck in frozen rivers during wintertime, so a smaller ship called icebreakers would come Uh, to clear a path. Let them out. uh, Clear a path to the shore by breaking the ice. In the 17th century, people began to use the phrase to mean to reduce tension in a social situation. It's been around that long. Wow. All right, now, Phil, you've got to be familiar with this one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
3: getting this idea. There's a theme here. (laughs)
1: going bananas yeah all the time meaning uh, insane or extremely silly okay it applies uh-huh the word Constantly. banana well the word banana by itself is just funny okay <laughs>
3: there's a song uh-huh. about it exactly or the, two <laughs>
1: the expression to go bananas has no conclusive origin but it may be linked to go ape which became popular in the 1950s when monkeys were being launched on rockets and were a popular subject in films and TV. <laughs> you ever seen the the great movie Bedtime for Bonzo, Bonzo. including uh, starring Ronald, Ronald Reagan, Reagan and the chimpanzee? Yeah,
0: that's when yes. he was almost strangled. strangled by that's the, yeah, right. Yeah, the
1: chimp got a hold of his tie, tie, I think, yeah. And didn't wouldn't let go. Well anyway, the link between monkeys, bananas and crazy behavior may have been the catalyst for the popular popularization of this expression. Bananas have often been central to slapstick comedy in general. With somebody mm-hmm. slipping it's on a banana peel. peel, It's a timeless classic. Early in the 20th century, people used to say that, that, or I'm sorry, people used to say that's banana oil when referring to nonsense. And the expression banana republic was uh, often used to refer to a chaotic, backward little country <laughs> that wasn't to be taken seriously.
0: Now it's in
3: the mall.
1: <laughs> banana republic. How
3: backwards is it
1: now? Right. <laughs> By and large, have you heard about this one? <laughs> Wasn't
3: it in a movie about think, a little robot? <laughs> I, I think something like
1: that. Uh, it like means the
3: excessiveness of buying stuff?
1: <laughs> um, no, a different movie. Anyway, oh, okay, sorry. on the whole, everything considered. Right. The origin, it's a phrase that is usually used as a synonym for all things considered. That originates from a 16th century uh, where the word large meant that a ship was sailing with the wind at its back. Meanwhile, the word by meant that the ship was sailing uh, with the wind uh, into the wind. So at the wind in front of it. So the mariners used the phrase by and large to refer to sailing in any and all directions relative to the wind.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Okay.
1: Okay. And finally, this is a quick one. Once upon a blue moon. You heard of that, once in a blue yes, moon? Yes,
0: absolutely.
1: A blue moon, actually, is when there are hap- uh, occurs rarely, but uh, there are two full moons in the same month. That's considered a blue moon. It only happens about every two and a half years. So when you hear about something happening only once in a blue moon, it's a pretty rare event.
0: As opposed to once in a, every, other
1: moon. Moon. <laughs> yeah, every other blue moon. Every other blue moon, it really gets more rare. Exactly. So there you go. Lots of idioms. Thank you, Phyllis Teasdale, for your suggestion. Yeah.
0: Okay, so this last one is kind of a, it was, it's, a it's a really cool story. Um, a Runaway Train. So if you're familiar with that, with that song, uh, it was released in the summer of 1993 by the American rock band Soul Asylum. And it was the fourth single from the band's 1992 album, Grave Dancers Union, and became a success around the world. It reached number five on U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and climbed to the top position on the Canadian RPM's Top Singles Charts, earning a gold sales certification from the Recording Industry Association of America, and selling 600,000 copies in the U.S. It's a sad song. (laughs) (laughs) I love the song. I love the song. I've heard I've heard the original. I've heard many people cover it. But um, Uh but it's a sad song. And lead singer Dave Perner has stated that the lyrics originally described his experience of depression. Uh So do you remember? Okay, so like I said, this came out in 1993. You remember back when MTV actually featured music? Yeah, what happened? Music videos? <laughs> <laughs> music videos. Yeah, every popular song was turned into a really cool music video. Right. Well, Runaway, Runaway Train was no exception, but the music video that the band chose to create was a unique and powerful one. Mm-hmm. It doubled as a call to action by featuring missing children from around the world and urging viewers mm. to help find them. There were three original versions of the video in the United States featuring a total of 36 missing children. And I actually think they had did a version just for the the U.K. as well, uh, featuring children missing from the U.K. The children shown varied with the location of the broadcast using missing children from that area. Oh,
2: okay. They localized it then. Yeah, Yeah.
0: they localized it a little bit. Three in America and one in, Mm. in Britain. The music, the or, sorry, the video received heavy airplay on MTV and VH1 during its duration, and of the 36 children featured, 21 were eventually found. Oh, really? Wow, That's interesting. now, well, and it's unclear whether it was a direct relation to the video to the video or not, but it didn't hurt. Sure, right. So the video did a lot of good back then, but the legacy continues. Hmm. To commemorate the video, the music video's 25th anniversary, the National Center for the Missing and Exploited Children. Released a new version that uses geo-targeting technology to automatically populate the video with profiles of local missing children based on the viewer's location. Oh,
2: interesting!
3: So
0: on social media, you know how you yeah. get those mm-hmm. those targeted ads or whatever. If right. you watched this video on social media, it you what, would it,
3: find you would be tagged missing by it. children yeah. in your area. I see. That's yeah. right.
0: So the video premiered on Good Morning America on May twenty second, twenty eighteen, a day before I'm sorry, a day before National Missing Children's Day. The website www.runawaytrain2525.com was created and visitors were encouraged to share the music video on Twitter and other social media channels using the hashtag missingkids and hashtag runawaytrain2525 to help publicize cases through their personal networks and aid the search for missing children across, across the country. Following its debut on Good Morning America, the music video was covered by a number of social outlets. I mean, it just went went crazy. Right. Including Billboard Entertainment Tonight, Rolling Stone, MTV, and CNN, as well as marketing trade publications, the Wall Street Journal's CMO Today newsletter. The campaign helped locate a runaway 16-year-old from Minneapolis, Minnesota. After watching the music video, one of the girl's friends identified her and reached out, successfully encouraging her to return home. Oh, cool. Social media leads and tips for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children have increased by 65% since since the campaign's launch. The campaign website has been visited more than 98,000 times, including the 17,500 visits on the day of its launch. The music video itself has been viewed more than 6.2 million times across digital and social platforms and was recently nominated in the video uh, for good in the, I'm sorry, in the video for good category at the MTV Music Video Awards. So, and, and just an amazing yeah. legacy that they did. I mean, it really has nothing to do whatsoever with with the song, but that, that band used their influence for good. And I, right. I just love that. So I got my information from Wikipedia and an amazing article by Laura Entis on uh, prweek.com
1: nice that's a great great story i appreciate that um and i've really enjoyed all these leftover bits that we have today i I like our
0: leftovers i hope you guys did too really fun okay so we have no trivia challenge this time instead we want to remind you that this is our last episode of the year we'll be back on january 3rd with our first episode of season
1: three wow season three wow yeah right
3: we would like to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being part of Remnant Stew and enjoying all these stories and
1: random trivia with us. And we wish you and your family a wonderful Christmas and holiday season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With many blessings in the new year. You know, as we move forward out of the pandemic and a particularly rough time in our history, we encourage you, as always, to choose to be kind. And always stay curious. curious. Merry Merry Christmas Christmas and Happy New Year. Year.